0: Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm your host, Ben Plumley, and this is a podcast about global health and human rights in the brave new COVID world of pandemics preparation. We're brought to you in partnership with the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, a hub of academic, tech, biotech, and other companies, non profits, and community organisations based in the San Francisco Bay Area and all committed to improving the health and well being of people around the world. You can find out more about the Alliance at www.bayareaglobalhealth.org. Well, everyone's talking about the vaccine who can and can't get it, which is the best one, and what can you do after you've been vaccinated? But in this episode, we're going to look at some of the other impacts of COVID-19. And particularly after a year and three months into the pandemic, its impact on mental health, pernicious, and in a very different way, just as threatening as the viral infection itself. And so I'm delighted that we're going to be rejoined by one of our favourite physicians and previous shot-in-the-arm podster, Dr. Huma Abbasi. Huma, welcome back to A Shot in the Arm podcast.
1: Thank you, Ben. Good to see you and good to be here again.
0: So, I guess we spoke just about a year ago about the code of impact of COVID-19 and shelter in place. But can you remind our viewers and listeners just a little bit about yourself, how you came to be interested in health, how you decided to become a doctor and and how you ended up at Chevron?
1: Sure. So uh, basically, you know, my job is the chief medical officer for uh, Chevron. And in this role, I'm responsible for with my team deploying um, programs that uh, impact more than 50,000 employees, double the size contractors. And we also bring similar programs to the communities. And it is this broader scale and outreach that basically attracted me to, to this job. So. Uh, I am a doctor by profession, as you mentioned. I grew up in a third world developing country, and I was amongst the fortunate who had the opportunity to get advanced education and become a doctor. And one of the reasons was because my parents themselves were university educated and, and uh, put a priority on uh, getting a higher level education. At that time, um, I was, uh, when I started my career, I started from hospital care, working with patients one to one. And uh, just the idea of helping people in health and their families was very self gratifying. But even at that time, I thought that I wanted to do more. And in early in my career, when I was in Asia or when I was in remote countries or places where the health system was fragile. I noticed what an organization like Chevron or a multinational company can bring to the table when they work with the governments, when they work with NGOs and people who have expertise in bringing health programs to those places and bridge the gap in between what the local system cannot provide. So that got me very, very passionate about changing careers. And then uh, this is how I moved from one uh, role, which was providing Patient care to a bigger organization where you can reach hundreds of thousands of employees and deploy those programs on a larger scale. I'm very proud of what Chevron does. We have health programs that reach uh, communities in many places, and uh, we put a priority on health and well-being of not only our employees, but our workforce, our dependents, the contractors, and, uh, and our communities. And this is what makes me very passionate of, about the job even today.
0: Well, we know uh, Chevron's leadership in infectious disease, in HIV and TB particularly, but as you look over the last year of the COVID-19 pandemic, what do you think the lessons learned are?
1: Yeah so we uh, actually, um, if I remember, we started the response to COVID-19 starting December 2019. In fact, if I remember it correctly at that time, uh, this was not the, the, na- the disease didn't even have a name. We used to, we were calling it a pneumonia of unknown origin. But as you know that uh, Chevron is a Google company and we have operations in Asia. And uh, we wanted to make sure that even this small outbreak had a good response in the country. So we started looking at guidance. We started looking at resources, central resources and how we can understand. And we did a needs assessment. And based on that, we started a response uh, for COVID-19. Going forward in a couple of months when this outbreak became an epidemic and then very soon uh, WHO named it a pandemic, We knew that, you know, we had to extend this response beyond a region, and that's where uh, our company uh, developed a coordinated central response, and we activated uh, a team, which is now called the Corporate Pandemic Response Team. This This team is chaired by my supervisor, who's vice president, HSC, and I lead the functional team for health and medical, which is basically the medical response. The situation has been very dynamic. And in the last year uh, when you know, we, we made sure that we were changing the response and upgrading our services based on what the needs were. Some of the lessons we learned, one is that we uh, were very um, confident that uh, we had a good foundation to start with, as you know, that this is not the, this may be the first time we're dealing with a pandemic, but not the first time we've dealt with an outbreak. We have managed several outbreaks in the past, uh, whether it was Ebola in the Africa region or it was a polio outbreak in a small country in Angola. But we know we had systems and processes to activate an emergency response, just on a bigger and larger scale. So we're using the learnings from the past, using our partnerships, internal as well as external partnerships, we deployed that response. And the one good thing about this was that, you know, the burden was not just on the medical team, but this corporate pandemic response team brought all the leaders in logistics, procurement, human resources, IT, and so we could leverage from each other and provide a consolidated, but a strong, robust response to our countries. And through this corporate pandemic response team, we produced guidance documents, we did webinars for our workforce, uh, which was about education awareness. So one of the lessons learned that, you know, don't do it alone, always have this central coordinated response because you, know, you will need help from everywhere. The second thing we, of course, realized that, you know, we will have, it's a very dynamic situation and we'll have to make sure that we keep shifting resources. So, for instance, COVID-19 testing uh, in in the beginning was not available in some of our remote operations. And we wanted to make sure that uh, when we were mobilizing workers or our critical infrastructure, we had testing available. And we, at that time, were able to manage some central contracts here and work on uh, getting some COVID-19 testing machines or test and send it to our businesses. And this is something that they appreciated a lot because at that time, the countries which were very active in the response and, you know, they did not have time to work these little details. So that that also shifting the resources and getting aligned with the local governments was very, very important. The third thing uh, I will point out is just finding the right expertise because, you know, I know that we have, we have a lot of uh, great help pro- uh, professionals in the company, but we also know that sometimes that is not enough for the response. So we uh, formed alliances and uh, we knew that some of our existing partners were doing the same thing. So we wanted to bring those learning and those relationships with our, our external partners and help them um, help us give, uh, provide this response. So we uh, really leveraged on those existing networks and resources through some Of those partnerships. The other thing I would say is that um, um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the mental health issue, but uh, Chevron is a company that has a good foundation on mental health programs. And uh, some uh, uh, organizations I know were a little late in identifying that uh, we will need a mental health response, but just because we already had a solid foundation on mental health programs. We integrated mental health programs and offerings into our existing response and early on started identifying the need in in U.S. domestic and internationally and in other countries to make sure that uh, when we address the health needs, it is a more coordinated response and physical uh, emotional,
0: psychological well-being of um, of our employees. So we'll come on to um, the mental health response in a second. I'm uh, just a couple of questions beforehand. Have you have you thought about vaccines and what the the company can do in partnership with uh, with some of the countries that perhaps have not been at the forefront of uh, of uh, receiving COVAX the supplies of COVID vaccines?
1: Yes, of course, uh, you know, just like uh, everyone else has eyes on vaccines, we have been monitoring and researching the availability and access of vaccines. Um, Early on, as part of our corporate pandemic response team, uh, we um, developed a group, which is the Vaccine Work Group or Vaccine Task Force. And that vaccine task force is comprised of um, experts from around the world, from my team and some of the other uh, partners we have. And we started researching and analyzing information. The one thing we wanted to do definitely was to uh, keep the communication going with the workforce and have them engaged and provide them current but credible information. So we uh, you know, we were looking at uh, vaccine hesitancy. We were looking at maybe perhaps there was some misinformation in the beginning and providing all those resources and tools to our global operation to make sure that uh, they get updated and current and correct information. So that was one of the things we did through the vaccine um, uh, task force. The other thing that we uh, knew it uh, that we wanted to do was important to look at access. And uh, we know that, you know, initially, and even now, a lot of the vaccine access is government control and, uh, you know, it is being managed by local uh, jurisdictions, but we wanted to start early on and we, we have started engaging our local and international partners uh, with a hope that whenever there is an opportunity for public-private partnerships, we will be there um, at the forefront. We have though um, been successful in deploying some of the uh, local responses, like uh, for instance, uh, for our domestic operations, uh, we activated our pod teams, which is basically point of dispensing teams through the local counties. And we had signed off those uh, agreements early on. And uh, just this last week, we started our part team vaccination in our Houston office, uh, which is basically our own team, health and medical team, uh, providing vaccine, working with the county to the Chevron workforce. We are that's, really um, interested that's... in bringing vaccine, especially to the lower middle income countries and are trying to work. Um, uh, to make sure that uh, we uh, enter into these philanthropic efforts or maybe perhaps uh, working with the governments, we can either put some investments, charitable donations, or something that can help not just the Chevron workforce, but our communities as well. We started an operation in our TCO uh, business unit, which is in Kazakhstan, and uh, working with the local government was able to provide, um, initiate at least a project uh, with uh, 4,000 uh, vaccines given, and we are continuing to work on sur- such programs.
0: I mean, that sounds that sounds really important. And again, at the the, the forefront of these pro- public private partnerships, there's there's a question I often ask guests, um, and whom I would really love to know your thinking about this. What do you think the new normal is going to look like? I mean, both as a family person, a parent, as well as being a senior executive in a large multinational corporation.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if I can just um, go back a little, Ben, if you look at the last year, I know that uh, we, we went through unprecedented times and I know this is sort of a cliche people say that because we've been saying that for a long time, but um, our, our people went through a lot of change, whether it was dealing with a pandemic Um, economic uncertainty, we also saw what was um, happening with uh, racial inequity and social injustice. And on top of that, uh, Chevron went went through a huge uh, transformation effort, although that makes our company very strong. But anyways, you know, this is all that uh, was just being thrown at people. And you can imagine what kind of change everyone went through. Plus, just seeing the devastation and damage uh, COVID-19 brought, even if you are someone who did not have direct impact to your family, of course, it uh, impacted the uh, overall mental health condition. So we, we have seen that, you know, initially when we did the surveys, uh, we saw that people were um, very stressed and there was a lot of anxiety uh, amongst uh, our workforce. When we go fast forward and start to look at the new normal, um, I had to actually uh, sit back and think, and is that just a fancy term or is it real? And I know that this is very, very real. Because hmm. um, uh, for one reason, being a health professional, I don't want to go back. If uh, I did mention uh, the uh, inequities COVID-19 highlighted. And I know that uh, you know one good thing that, COVID made us see was the disparities that existed in our health infrastructure. And I would like to think that moving forward, we would like to close those gaps and make sure that uh, in in the future, if we have any health crisis, we don't see those kind of disparities. The other thing we've already seen is that, you know, we've learned how to work differently, even though in the new normal, I uh, look forward and I'm excited to get back together and start traveling again, which hopefully will happen once uh, the majority of population starts getting vaccinated and the virus transmission is lower. Uh, I do believe that we will um, have new ways of doing our work. We have started engaging more and more on virtual platforms, we saw there was so much uh, research done uh, in terms of health technology and innovation, and I think using those plat, the, the digital platforms, or you know, a telemedicine or telehealth, we can um, even improve our existing outreach uh, for health programs in the new normal. We know that certain people uh, have started working remotely, and when we go back. Um, Perhaps uh, we will we can think of a hybrid on how we work, but we will be uh, taking advantage of all that we have learned in the past year.
0: So that really brings us on to to mental health. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a major challenge uh, as part of the the overall COVID response, and I I wonder how much as as a physician how much of an issue you feel this is uh, for. Well, both for families where where one or more uh, people are infected with COVID, but for the overall community as a whole, how big an issue is this?
1: Yeah, so um, as I had mentioned earlier um, in 2020 and continuing uh, this year, uh, we have seen a lot of stressors, whether it was uh, dealing with the uh, pandemic or managing a family situation at home. We saw that uh, the kids were not uh, going to school. And as a mother, I had, had that experience firsthand where we had to learn how to provide education to our kids in a virtual environment. Um, The other thing we saw is that, you know, the health, uh, physical and mental health was impacted together. You know, both of these are interconnected and you cannot separate one from the other. Uh, When uh, when people are mentally stressed, you have anxiety, you have fatigue and you have all these symptoms uh, that can uh, become real illnesses Uh, People, you know, the nutrition was not the same. Um, Exercise patterns changed. And even physically, we were not able to keep up with what was going on in the beginning when uh, COVID um, transmission was quite high. People missed their preventive health um, screening and appointments with the doctors. So that itself put a lot of burden. I was looking at some uh, studies, uh, Ben. One is that, uh, you know, we see uh, from surveys that were done in many countries and even here domestic, that uh, there has been an increased up- uptake in substance abuse and increase uh, in um, alcohol. Um, uh, and and the other thing is that, you know, there are some people with who are really dealing with sick, elderly or sick people at home, people who have developed these long-term symptoms of COVID, and uh, there has not been, um, you know, any relief for them. So then the other thing is that, you know, we have uh, different types of issues. For instance, the uh, frontline workers, Uh, there are some workers who never, um, you know, were working from home from day one of COVID, they have been going to the facility. So they were faced with different problems, like trying to do their job, trying to manage family issues, uh, while some workers who were remote and working remotely um, had blurred lines and were always on and could not uh, separate in between uh, what is work and what is home. So all kinds of stresses did put um, a burden on mental health. We did some initial assessments and surveys, and found that people were reporting of increased stress and loss of work-life balance. Uh, and those are the then there were several different issues. The other thing is that you know one size doesn't fit all. We know that you know for, for Chevron we are in different countries, different um, uh, different places, and mental health stigma is different in different uh, countries. Are Uh, We see in some places people uh, in Asia, we learned that people try to put a very strong face on and they would not talk about mental health. So there we had to improvise our programs and see how we can customize uh, the health offerings we have over there. In other places, we saw some generational gaps. So while the senior people who were not very savvy with technology had difficulty in working, our younger uh, individuals and younger adults completely lost their social environment that they are uh, very much relying on or, you know, that interconnectedness was not there. So this is why, you know, we saw that mental health stresses were higher on the rise uh, in the last one year.
0: I mean, this seems to me another example of the approach that I know you've taken of the sort of whole health um, uh, approach to that to to the wellness of um, employees and dependents. You know the idea that um, it's not just physical health; it's mental, uh, spiritual health, even, and 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 trying to drive down, um, you know, the the indicators of stress. Um, and, and this must have been a major challenge for you and your colleagues over the last year, because as you said, so many people are either working from home or have frontline jobs where they they have to be on the front line. Um, How did you use, say, technology and some of the the newer uh, social media applications to to reach out to people, but also to give them the tools, uh, perhaps to look after their own mental health?
1: Yes. So one of the things that we do understand is the connection in between physical... Mental, emotional, health, and well being. And I know that all of this is related to safety, performance, and productivity. And this is why, from the very beginning, uh, we have put a lot of emphasis on uh, mental health. So, Chevron is a company uh, that has had these employee assistance programs for a long time. In fact, this year we will be celebrating our 50th anniversary for EAP organization. And as part of that organization, not only we have a team of experts, psychologists, social workers who provide consultations and bring tools and education awareness webinars and programs for our employees. But also we are engaged and um, in uh, doing a listening tour and understanding the needs, the mental health needs of our global operations and then customizing and designing our programs best suited for that. that Uma, can I?
0: Can I just dive in there? You used the term yeah. EAP, um, and I know it's central to what you do. Can you just explain what the acronym is?
1: Yes, it's Employee Assistance Programs, and uh, this is a team of individuals that we have internally as, uh, in-, in Chevron. Uh, basically, they are experts, as psychologists and social workers, or internal advisors, uh, what we call them in Chevron. And uh, what they do is they do, uh, just like any other health professional in Chevron, they do a health need assessment and then design and develop programs uh, that are best suited for Chevron operations.
0: So, and what, makes of- you, um, and, and what makes you different is that many other corporations, not just in the energy center, tend to contract that out. But in, in Chevron's case, you've made the very conscious decision to keep those resources and that expertise in-house.
1: Yes, uh, Ben, so it, I think uh, that is one of the advantage we always had. And, and if you remember, I mentioned that uh, our mental health um, program was integrated into our corporate pandemic response team response early on as part of the pandemic. The, one of the reasons that we had this was because we already were in a three year campaign. Uh, Let's talk, which is from our EAP organization, and as part of that uh, campaign, we were trying to educate our workforce on um, on mental health disorders, or if you put it a spin positively, on mental and psychological uh, well-being. And uh, this is why when uh, we were hit by a pandemic, we started looking not just at the physical. Uh, needs, but also at the mental he- needs of the workforce. And uh, what we are doing right now is we have an abundance of tools uh, that have been made available from, uh, from our EAP or Employee Assistance Programs team. Uh, we have one company program that we are, I'm very proud of, and it's a resilience app. What, what it does is it's a free app for every uh, employee in the company Uh, Once you download that app, you have access to a number, you do a needs assessment or survey, which is kept confidential and not shared with anyone, but it is done through a third party. And based on that assessment, you will receive, you can receive counseling and you receive help uh, from whatever you have, meditation, so many abundance of resources through that app. And uh, I think that has been one of the very successful programs uh, for Chevron. We are engaged in providing different um, uh, tools and resources through our new digital platforms. I have an example here in Thailand from last year. We, uh, we uh, used telehealth services uh, for our mental health uh, program, and it was very, very successful. And I think um, one of the gaps that I hear from in many places is that the reason that people were not seeking help Uh, related to anxiety, depression, or other disorders was because the earlier connection they had with their psychologist was lost. People were not making these Mm -hmm. physical visits. But by having these innovative uh, technology and platforms, uh, we were able to use those platforms but continue the outreach and the programs that uh, we had existing. Uh, within within our system. So I think that was a huge advantage. And I, I think, you know, like I said, we've learned a lot in the past one year. I don't think that we will stop here. Uh, we will, uh, of course, continue those uh, physical programs and uh, life programs that we have, but also at the same time, we will continue using uh, other platforms and technology, not just for our physical um, health programs, but also for mental health.
0: So May is Mental Health Month, and I, I know the company's got a, a a number of specific events and activities. Uh, but I guess my first question to you, as um, you know, as as the chief medical officer of Chevron, is honestly, do you think these health months? have real impact that go beyond the, the, the month-specific events? Or, or or do they bring something that you can capitalise on throughout the year?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, we will be celebrating uh, the Mental Health Month. And in fact, we have uh, planned a whole lot of activities around uh, mental health uh, programmes during that month. We have some pre-recorded events that uh, will be... Uh, uh, given to the employees. We have some tools that are ready and available for the employees. We have uh, a lot of topics that we are focusing on. So we want to make sure that people understand the role of psychologists, uh, understand the difference in between regular stress and this uh, clinical stress or clinical depression that uh, sometimes people face and are not able to seek help because they don't understand the difference, we will be addressing children's mental health, which I think is a very, very important issue uh, for us. We are working on some communication that uh, will be done during that month, whether it is through our Inside Chevron website or through social media posts. Uh, we have a lot of ongoing programs like resilience, that mental health program, but I think what, um, what this focus during a month will do is concentrate all those activities and communication to our employees. And we will work really hard to make sure that during that month, we put a focus and priority on these programs. So I, I do know that, you know, uh, sometimes, um, you know, we think that we have something celebrated every month, but uh, we use it to our advantage to make sure that we impart education awareness to our employees on whichever um, health issue we are focusing on. And uh, pandemic has shown that mental health is a need, not just in this country, but everywhere in the world. And we want to make sure that we take advantage of this month of May to uh, to provide all that um, education, awareness tools to our employees so they can um, really learn and improve their skills.
0: So I think you've answered this, but it might be worth for our listeners and and viewers to have this perhaps a little more explicitly. One concern, and, and this is certainly something we've seen with healthcare workers, is um, a hesitancy not just about the vaccine, but about admitting the stresses, admitting the the mental health issues, and a concern that you know employers might might view that as weakness. Now, you've clearly emphasised that um, you know the range of services that you provide are there to support. Um, employees um, during during periods of stress, but but what would you say to people who say, "Well, of course, y- y- you know, you don't want to uh, indicate that you are feeling stressful or you're perhaps having mental health issues because that'll put your job at risk."
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, that's a very pertinent issue, uh, Ben, and we have seen uh, what we call a COVID fatigue. Uh, for a little bit now, and it's not just for the healthcare workers, because, you know, in healthcare, um, we feel that we are there out to provide uh, care to the uh, to the rest of the workforce, and sometimes you forget to see how you are being burdened and fatigued by that response. So we did bring out programs where we um, were able to listen. I think the best thing to do is first listen and acknowledge that we could have uh, mental health issues amongst our workforce as well we uh, in the early on we started doing surveys and trying to und- identify what are these stresses whether it's work-life balance or uh, just uh, the amount of work that has been put on people and after that needs assessment then we were able to customize the tools uh, and the resources that we provide to our workforce i think like i said you know sometimes uh, people respond to different things um, uh, due to our different backgrounds and cultures because our ethnicity and our background shapes how uh, we um, you know look at mental health and in some cultures uh, there could be stigma you know sometimes like I said you know we've seen that people will try to put a, a strong face on because they they feel like they are supposed to be strong for the family so one, thing, uh, one uh, thing we've done is that we have uh, talked openly about this. We, we try to listen to people. We try to openly address this issue. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we have an outreach program where people can go, but also have anonymized surveys. Uh, we have uh, consultations uh, available for employees so they can go and reach uh, confidentially to people and talk about it. And at the same time, I think the important thing is that we have uh, tailored programs for the supervisors, for them to understand uh, what uh, their teams can be facing and how they can talk about mental health issues uh, openly and uh, try to help the families. Uh, in the beginning of the response, our, um, our human resources department was very good in identifying some of the things like childcare. We knew that you know when people are uh, when when you have restrictions and lockdowns in place, people will need help and on child care. Uh, we looked at our policies on disability, and uh, you know if you have a sick individual at home, how we can help the employee. So I think it's uh, it's everything together, looking at the physical and mental health needs, providing education, but also at the same time. It can't be all talk, it's also action. So we wanted to make sure that we have those resources available to the employees that they can uh, make use of and at least uh, you know that will help them with the stress they are facing um, in the current environment.
0: So I know we're coming up to the top of the hour and uh, I, I need to let you get on with the very important work that, that, that you are doing. I. Huma, I've got two questions remaining for you. Um, The first, to change tack a bit, is about the Bay Area Global Health Alliance itself. You were one of the early supporters and members of the Alliance. Um, And in this last year, we've seen it grow significantly, notwithstanding the shelter in place orders here in the Bay Area. Um, What are you most proud of? And what are your hopes for the Alliance in the coming year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of Chevron uh, being the inaugural member and a supporter of the alliance from the early days. And uh, I, the thing I like about this alliance is that it puts all these thought leaders together and on a common agenda. We work on shared goals, shared objectives and common agenda. And uh, in the last uh, year, the alliance has grown so much and I'm so proud of it. Uh, I think the one unique thing about the Bay Area Global Health Alliance um, is that uh, one of one of the things that I see is the opportunity to bring all the expertise across industry. We have people from academia, pharma, um, oil and gas industry, many many other industry members represented. At this health alliance and we are thinking of the same things we want to make sure that we elevate the global health agenda and work on creating these innovative solutions to uh, bridge the gaps and help with the health crisis whatever it may be whether it's COVID 19 or something else and in the past i saw a lot of work done through the uh, the uh, bay area global health alliance i'm looking forward uh, to what we can do in the future, I'm pretty sure that uh, we have learned so much from the uh, from this pandemic on how we can bring all these thought leaders together and work together. And we will uh, continue to work uh, on this platform.
0: Now, I, I I know, and I asked this question of you last year that you actually don't watch much television, um, and and besides the the demands of work, what you tend to do. Is, is read um, clinical and public health research. But um, I've got to ask you, what is keeping you interested at the moment?
1: I think just the new uh, research. It's just such a dynamic situation right now. Um, you know, what we learned, I, I think in the past year, we learned humility. We learned um, to lead with empathy. We learned so much about science and medical and health innovation. And that keeps me going, Ben. I, I just, uh, you know, I wish I had more time, uh, but I keep myself updated on the new research on uh, what the science is telling us, not just about COVID, but about new therapeutics and new diagnostics. And uh, so it is, you know, I, that's how I spend most of the time. Um uh, I I do take my breaks and I think you may be able to relate to that you know my idea of de-stressing is curling up on a sofa watching an Agatha Christie movie with my cup of English tea.
0: Oh yes I can relate to that. Um I'm afraid at the moment it's the Great British Bake Off um and the new season of that which is which is keeping me thoroughly occupied when I'm not <laughs> when I'm not thinking about this stuff but Huma thank you so much. And I, I I wonder if, you know, there's a there's a standing invitation to you to to come back onto the podcast at any time. Um, if there are things that you, you feel both from um, the work as the clinical leader of a, of a large multinational corporation, or indeed as a physician that you think, you know, our listeners and viewers should know and, and things that we can do to support you. So, so thank you so much for coming back on to uh, a Shot in the Arm podcast, you are, of course, uh, yourself a shot in the arm.
1: Thank you, Ben. It was a pleasure and keep up the good work.
0: Well, thanks to Huma and to her colleagues in Chevron and Health and Medical, including Janice Davis-Street, Mike Sternberg, Bessie Gutierrez Aguas and Amy Landre. Thanks also to Sarah Anderson from the Bay Area Global Health Alliance. Our deepest thanks go to our director and producer, Eric Aspera, without whom none of this would be possible. And finally, thanks to you. If you have any questions or comments about this or indeed any of our shows, don't hesitate to contact us through Facebook and Twitter at ShotArm Podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. It helps us get the word out. So... Have a great week and a safe week, everyone. And if the COVID vaccine is available to you, remember, vaccinate, don't hesitate.